This is Women in STEM Career and Confidence, the podcast for scientific and professional women who want to restore confidence, make meaningful impact, and balance the things and people that mean most to them. I'm Dr. Hannah Roberts, and I'll be sharing with you insights and inspiration into the mindset and skill set to help you navigate your career and lead powerfully. I am thrilled to introduce my next Inspiring Stories guest, Dr. Madison Ryling, Executive Director of Optonic based in Quebec. In this episode, we talk about the changes required to move from learning leadership skills to actually implementing them. Using your voice as a platform for leadership and advocacy, even if you don't feel like the expert. Madison is also such a beautiful example of confident humility in leadership. I can't wait for you to hear her story. So welcome, Madison, to the podcast today. Thank you, Hannah. It's a pleasure to be here. And I'd love it. So first of all, I just want to say that I met Madison at an event that I was facilitating in Washington for Optica um, called Level Up Leadership. So we spent a good four days together getting to know each other. So I invited Madison to come on the podcast to uh, hear a little bit more about her career and her inspiring story. So can you introduce yourself, please? Yes, for sure. Um, Well, first of all, thanks for the invitation. And maybe just to give a bit of context uh, about Optica that you mentioned. So Optica is an international society that that serves to advance the international community of, of optics and photonics. Um, which is very relevant to what I'm doing now. So when we talk about photonics, it's the, the science of light. So the, the whole community that really, um, that, that develops um, and, and creates all these, these light-based technologies that, that make up our world today. Um, and and wh- who am I? So I am, uh, so Madison, the executive director of Optonic. Optonic is a nonprofit uh, based in, in Quebec, Canada which has the mandate to help develop and, and boost the, the uh, Quebec's, Quebec's and Canada's photonics industry and photonics ecosystem. And it's really about um, maximizing uh, the, the, the key enabling uh, capacities uh, of light-based technologies. So, so we work very closely with, with industry, obviously, um, but we also act as an interface between so industry, academia, and government, and it's all about mobilizing different actors, different stakeholders uh, of the photonic sector um, to put in place initiatives that really, really help support the, the long-term development of the sector. So that can be, that can have to do with, with trade, with innovation, with workforce, um, and it's it has this whole community mobilization aspect to it, but it also has a big dimension, which is, uh, which is more public policy oriented. So innovation and trade policies, and also a diplomatic uh, side to it. So, so more on the bilateral diplomacy side. So, so working between um, working with Quebec and Canada, obviously, but with partner, partner countries to establish different collaborations that, that are value added for, for both of the, the partners. So that's a, a bit about what I do today. And um, so I am in nonprofit management. 
uh, but I am not at all trained to do that. <laughs> so my, my background, uh, so I am actually a, a scientist by trade or more specifically a medical physicist by trade. So uh, just a, a quick recap. Um, so I have a joint honors in math and physics um, from McGill University. So I, I started off my, my studies in a very, um, actually very keen to go into theoretical physics. <laughs> I saw myself working at CERN and uh, working in particle physics. Um, and uh, so that's what I, what I studied to, to be. And I really loved math. I, really understanding physics is all, is all about mastering the language of math and to, to really understand the most complex phenomena that really makes up our world. And, um, but along the way, I, I did different internships that, that brought me to discovering what, what else we could do with, with physics. So I, I actually did an internship in optical engineering and another one eventually in, in medical physics. And that's what um, what led me to, to pursue a master's in medical physics and then a PhD in physics. So I um, so basically, actually, I was developing these uh, these tools to help measure the, the dose that we administer in external beam radiotherapy. So in radiation oncology to make sure that the treatments are as precise as possible. So that's what really my what my PhD work was all about. And um, but, but basically, I, uh, I was actually trained as, like I, I said, a medical physicist. And a medical physicist uh, is someone who is kind of like a pharmacist uh, for, for radiation. So, so when I finished my PhD, I, I, I started working as a clinical medical physicist in the clinic in radiation onco oncology. So really as part of the medical team and, and as the expert who, who makes sure that the uh, radiation, the the cancer treatments are as precise and as optimal as possible along the whole treatment chain. So from diagnostic to treatment planning, all the way to, to the treatment itself and beyond. Um, so, so that's a bit about myself and, and my more my academic training. And, uh, and then there's this big gap that all of a sudden leads me to nonprofit management. Um, I don't know if you wanna talk about that now, there's a few different things that brought me there. Yeah, no, that was a really great introduction. And I was like, how did you get from there to there? You've left me with a lovely gap. But before we get into the gap, um, I want to take you back to when you were talking about, I just loved maths and I loved physics. And that was like um, your kind of thing that you went into. Do you have an idea of where that passion came from? I I've thought about that quite a bit. Um, over the years, and I, I can't really pinpoint where it came from. Actually, um, you, you can kind of tell along the way I, I, I shifted towards medical physics, but that's because when I was leaving high school, I saw myself going into the medical field. To a certain extent, it's because people, certain people recommended that, said, okay, well, if you have good grades, what do you do? You go into medical school. Um, but but I think just, I, I think back to, to high school and before, I just, I just, love math I loved numbers or even later I mean math isn't really much about numbers at a certain point um and and honestly I think is that I, I like doing things that were hard I like I liked understanding things that were very complex when you take this big complex problem and you break it down and then you can explain it into very eloquent equations and and you can make these models that that make everything just make or, or allow everything to just make sense. 
Um, and, and I think that's what in the end just brought me into math and honestly going into math and physics, I didn't really know where that would lead. So it was kind of just a, a little leap of, uh, of faith there. And uh, so, but yeah, that's what, what really kind of brought me into the, into math. I love that. So really taking super complex things and making them simple. Exactly. Yeah. As simple as we can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, there's a lot of elegance in that. And I know that in, certainly in the UK, in the maths and the physics world, it is a very male dominated field in particular. Is that your experience over in Canada? Oh yeah, for sure. For I'm thinking back to my undergrad. So when I graduated, it, it is a small program. So we were maybe about um, 15 people who who finished our undergraduate, and we were three who three women in, in the program. Um, and then even along the way, and, and statistics show this as well that. Um, as you you continue along the in the STEM fields going going into higher education, the numbers go down, and that was my experience itself. Um, when I was doing my my PhD uh, on the optical engineering side, I was often the only woman, or maybe one uh, out of two or three in a group of maybe 20, 20 people. Um, on the medical physics side, a bit, a few more for more women. So it was maybe more like 40%, 60% uh, that, that was maybe the, the, the representation, but it, the women, women uh, and representation of women was definitely lacking, especially as we go up and as you look forward as well. Um, so looking towards uh, people who are pursuing their PhD, postdocs, and then in, in different uh, professoral positions as well in academia. Yes, we see something really similar reflected in chemistry. So that's my background, um, but even more so for physics and maths, for sure. So you noticed, obviously, that it was quite a male-dominated field, but do you feel that that affected you in any way? Did it have an impact on you? Um, in different ways, yes. I think it was um, the... It, it had good impacts and, and negative ones, depending on, and I guess how I reacted to certain situations. Honestly, when I when I think back uh, to what got me more in socially engaged, that was that was at the core of it. Um, the whole idea to the whole um, willingness to to help bring more more women, more girls into into the field. That's really what what drove me to start getting more involved. So so how do you so so I would go to different events for for example like these conferences for women in physics, um, and then you get involved in more science outreach initiatives for for young girls to to expose them to to the field and show the different opportunities. Um, and so so that's that really kind of that really got me maybe motivated to 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 make change to to help promote the field, but. I, I have to say that there's there was quite a big dilemma in that because when you you want to promote the field you want to say yay come 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 here come study with us and and look at all these great opportunities that await you you're also in, in the in a position where you can also see all the obstacles that lie ahead you can also see all the different challenges that they're going to face yes there's the whole idea of underrepresentation but it can that can take a lot of different forms. Um, and, and maybe I, I'd recommend a, a really good uh, documentary picture a scientist that, that really speaks to this. And 
And it can go from things that, that, that I've lived that are very, yes, explicit and unacceptable comments, even in the workspace or in, in academia, but all the way to different things where women and, and, and are, are taking on extra responsibilities, right? And they're always tagged to be the sort of coordinators and secretaries of research groups and <laughs> things like that. Um, so so that, that was really, really important uh, when, it, when I look back on my, my whole career path because I wanted, I wanted to bring women into the field. I wanted to encourage them, but at the same time, you're, you're kind of feel like you're, you're, you're trapping them into, into something that, that won't value, value them to their full extent. And so, so that's something that really uh, was key and a few next steps that I ended up taking and how can you change things at a more systemic level? How can you have a wider impact and, and really address more, maybe the, the sources of those obstacles uh, more than just kind of, kind of looking beyond them. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I just loved that movie, A Picture of Scientists. I remember watching it, I think it was a couple of years ago when it first came out and it was yeah. so impactful. I really wanted to host the discussion groups around it as well, because like you said, it's not just about bringing more people and letting more people know that this is a possibility for them. You know, like the role model thing, it's about also the retention of women along the way and having an environment that's not hostile, but actually inclusive and supportive of those women. And that is, exactly. for me, that's the real change that I want to see. Because um, I know we're starting to do a great job of kind of uh, bringing people in now. It's a case of retaining that talent that's already there. Exactly. No, I think the, those are, actually really appreciate that, that you share that because it, it brings on so many other reflections on on what is the situation in in well in that case was more in academia like more broadly in academia um in, in certain fields that are very male dominated um to a certain extent you also start thinking about the the problem that how we each contribute to to the problem right um and and when i say we each i include myself where we we have we we have different perceptions of how we recognize leadership, how we recognize uh, or how we support women along, along the, the way and, um, and how we sometimes contribute to the problem, right? How we perpetuate all these different, all these different stereotypes and, and just kind of, and, and just help in perpetuating all the, those problems that exist. So uh, yeah, I, I really recommend it because I feel like that, that documentary was very, very, well, it was very explicit on a lot of levels, but it was very, um, it's a really good basis to, to help the, get those discussions going. For sure, for sure. And um, you talked about leadership there as well, um, being a good leader of ourselves and you're off the back of um, level of leadership. So I wanna ask you, how do you see yourself as a leader today? Yeah, that's a big question. I know. Um, <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, it's the leadership is a journey. It's always I find it's it's funny. It's, it's something hard to to tag yourself uh, as a leader. Um, I, I mean, it's always very heartwarming when people say that you're a leader. But I think there there's also one thing that that I'm starting to realize quite a bit is that 
um, just because of, of different positions that I have, uh, like being the executive director of, a, for example, of the nonprofit, you, you're also in positions that your leadership gives you certain certain power, right? Or gives you a certain voice and it's how you use that voice. Um, so when you ask the question, how, how do I see myself as a leader now? I think before I would see myself as building leadership skills. You're taking on certain projects, you're coordinating projects, you're well, as a, doing a PhD, I mean, you're leading your own projects, but I, I kind of saw it always as a sort of, to a certain extent, a solo journey, right? Or, or I would see other leaders and the people who were presented as leaders were the ones who inspired others to, to follow in their path. Um, how, I, how I see myself now, um, I really identify with what we call like service leadership. So how um, especially in the roles that I've taken on more recently, it's how are you creating the space to help others thrive? How are you, and, and that's something that, um, I'm not saying that that I'm great at it. I still have so much to, to learn and to, to grow in that space, but um, I, I'm, I'm really, what, what's really, really important to me, it's, it's that in the the role that I have now, it's how I'm using I'm how I'm using that that leadership that I have, and am I I creating a space, an environment, giving the tools to, for example, my team my team members to to feel fulfilled in what they do, to feel obviously aligned with the the mission of the organization, but to really go above and beyond themselves, professionally speaking and personally speaking, and and that's because if they can do that, <laughs> I mean, I, I need to be able to put things in place so that they have the opportunity to do that. Um, so there's a whole kind of internal part to, to the team that I'm leading. And then there's also a, an external part where uh, because of the role that I have, I get I, I get invited to certain committees or you, you start having um, you start having different platforms where your voice is being heard more and more. And so it does, that also becomes a certain dimension of leadership, right? Um, and 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 it, and it can be at local community levels, but for me, it's more at provincial. It's at federal, and sometimes even internationally speaking. Um, and and everything you say and who you actually bring to the table with you is also a different form of leadership. So so how are you leading um, within your your sector, so so within like your your community, within your your province or country. Like I'm I'm not a, an elected official. That's not what I'm saying. But still, you're you you have these you have these opportunities to to speak out, um, to to share your expertise and experience. Um, and it's just being very mindful of how you go about doing that. Uh, and uh, yeah, I love that summary. It's kind of. Your leadership has gone from I'm learning how to be a leader, like I'm getting all the skills and resources to I'm actually leading people. And it sounds like you really put people on purpose of a profit. It's if I bring out the best in these people, that will take care of itself. So I focus on the people and they will, you know, flourish, be fulfilled, and all of that sort of happens naturally. But I was at um Microsoft um a couple of months back and I heard the CEO talking um, and he always said, you know, Microsoft gives you a platform. You get to choose what you do with that. It's like, you've got this big brand behind you. Like, what are you going to do with that? That's going to do some good in the world. 
And that piece that you're saying there about you've now got this platform to use your voice, it's about what do I actually do with that voice now? Um, so I love that you really stepped up in your leadership in that way as well. So I think it would be really good to hear about the gap then. So how did you go from I'm learning the skills to be a leader to I am now actually in leadership? So tell us what happened next. Then. Right. Um, so I guess this could have happened in different ways, especially if we're looking at looking at it from a, a leadership angle. Um, if I'm looking at it more from a scientist turned uh, to nonprofit management, for example, sometimes I, I can't even retrace exactly the how, what brought me there. But there was a few a few moments that were really or a few experiences that were really impactful for my my career path and. It, it dates back to when I was doing my, my PhD, I um, applied to be a student advisor to Quebec's chief scientists. So at the subnational, at the provincial level here in Quebec, we have a, a chief scientist who he himself uh, advises the government. So on science, but also uh, directs basically all how funding is used to support science and, and research. Um, and and why I applied to that was a bit back, relating back to what we were talking about earlier. So how do you go beyond maybe certain like promotional activities and, and outreach activities to try to enable more systemic change? Um, so I, I basically yeah I took on a role of student advisor for for three years, and I, that also brought me to sit on the board of directors for Quebec's funding agency in science and engineering. So I was the only student to be on that board of directors with all these very important people. Um, and, uh, and that was a very, very important, uh, very important experience for me because that's one of the first times that I really saw just how, just how far our voice could go or, or the impact that our, our actions or, or our advice could, could have. Um, and, and what I, I also saw in that moment was that as a scientist, you can advance science in a lot of different ways. And that was very eye-opening for me. So, so through that experience in a lot of different ways, I got exposed to the world of science policy, which is a sort of a two-way street where you have science for policy. So you have science advice to, to government, for example, to inform policymaking, but you also have policy for science. So how is science funded? How is research directed or non-directed? Um, and and I, I, I got to, to, to grow in, in that world <laughs> in both the, those two streets. And I really, I really got excited by all of it. I really loved being at that interface. And, and what I also saw along the way was that um, developing or, or being at the interface puts you in a position of one of a knowledge broker, right? So you, you play the, the, the role of a translator. So as a scientist, you can help the scientists communicate better with government, even with politicians and, and vice versa. So you, you have that ability and that might, might kind of relate back to the whole language aspects of mathematics in a certain, in a certain way, but it's, it's being able to, to play that role of translation. Um, and, uh, and maybe this might be a bit cheesy, but it's really about building those bridges, right, between those two communities that unfortunately sometimes are very, very distinct or, or siloed. So that was really important. And um, just after that, I actually got to play a, a sort of similar role, but at the federal level. So I was on um, a youth council for the chief science advisor of Canada. 
and I'm smiling because it's called a youth council, but it is a, a science uh, science advisory council of the next generation in a certain way. But I just would call myself a, a senior youth because I didn't really see myself <laughs> as necessarily a youth. So so the the ones who were uh, those of us who were finishing our PhD or maybe early career professionals, we kind of put ourselves on one one end uh, of, of the spectrum uh, of, of youth, you could say. Um, so, but but that that was another experience that was really important when I talk about how you advance science in different ways because it was all about advising or giving the next generation perspective to very high decision makers or or, or advisors within government um, and. And it was all about thinking like, how do we see the future of science in Canada? How do we see the future of the science community? And who is missing from that community? How do you make it more open, more inclusive? And, and very concretely, what policies do you have to put in place to get there? So we, we did a lot of stakeholder engagement and um, to, to, to learn about that and to be able to advise on that. And, and those, are, those are just a few examples, but those were really meaningful experiences for me that shown me that we can play a, a role that isn't purely scientific and technical, uh, isn't purely within government, but you can also be somewhere in between and still play a very, very valuable role for, for advancing, which is now in my case, really helping to advance the, the photonics uh, community. I think that's so important to note for people also that you can advance science not just by being the person doing the doing, like for chemistry in the lab, but obviously it's different for every type of uh, science out there. So it's really cool to hear. But I think if I'd been a student with a board of directors or I'd been the youth <laughs> council with like the federal government, I think I might have freaked out and been like, who am I to like tell you anything? Who am I? Like, I don't have the knowledge to be able to do that. So did you, I know that's my perspective, but did you ever have a mini freak out in terms of um, imposter syndrome or confidence when it came to doing those things? Well, I appreciate the question. And uh, so the answer is yes, 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 very. <laughs> so many yeses to all of that. Um, so there, there's a few things that I would react to. So actually, just off the bat, when, when I would be in, um, and, and if you would probably laugh thinking back to it, but when I, when I was in, in board of director meetings, there was a few times when I knew whenever I, the first times I had to speak up, my heart race, my heartbeat would be just racing and um and we all have these like smart watches right i'm sure that you could track it and go back to see like a, a peak in my heart rate um <laughs> just because it was so it was it was really intimidating and and it was it's but at the same time when you it's it's very easy to say now but in retrospect it's also times that completely took me out of my comfort zone right so whenever the, those times when for example the chief scientist would introduce me to a minister to uh to a, a certain public servant that's very that you know is very important in government, and you, you, it's very hard to, to try to position yourself as some sort of expert because you're you're not an expert. And but but there's a few things that I'll say to that, um, and one of them being that someone gave you that that opportunity, that voice, and it's for a reason. So so in my case, it was for example the at the provincial level, the chief scientist, or at the federal level, the chief science advisor, were people who 
really believed in and valued the importance of including the voice of the next generation in science advice, in decision-making, in governance structures. Um, and and that, was, that was so, so important because they were the ones who op opened up the doors to these conversations being had and for me being able to, to discuss with the, these, <laughs> these elected officials or public servants rather. Um, but another thing that I would say is that it's never a solo experience. So when I was serving on these committees, I was within a committee. I was within um, a group of student advisors or I was within a council. And even when I went to the board of directors, I wasn't just building on me, myself and I. It was really about um, we had a, a whole student committee behind us who was bringing up different recommendations. And I was just the one that had to basically share it in the end and represent the, the, those recommendations or, or, or present those recommendations. So it was it was a collective effort. Um, and, and I think that helps address that whole imposter syndrome is that you know that you're not building on, on uh, or you're not just basing yourself on your, your own expertise or lack of expertise, but you're really, um, you're really bringing forth uh, the voice of a, a whole community to, to a certain extent. Uh, and, and that's really important in those situations. No, thank you for addressing that. And um, I guess it's that thing about growth, isn't it? The, you find an intimidating situation, you're stepping outside of the comfort zone. And the more you step out, the faster you kind of learn and grow from that. And it sounds like you were really kind of exposed and therefore grew quickly. Because I've seen you now in like experiences where you are just so comfortable talking to people at all different types of levels as well. So it's really cool to be able to see the fruits of all of that kind of uh, stuff that happened earlier on for you. But the other thing I wanted to pick up on was you were the voice of the next generation and they wanted to be inclusive. They wanted to hear your kind of opinions and your kind of thoughts on things. And one of the things you said earlier around that kind of stakeholder management was what voices are missing here? And I think that's so important because I just, even just today, like I go on nature and I look at an article and it's all about women's health and how uh, it's been overridden, you know, the funding isn't there for women or um, the disease areas that they're concentrating on are not proportionate to the disease size and all this kind of stuff because we don't have the right voices at the decision-making level to be able to put the funding in place in the right directions or whatever that is. So for me and the work that I do, it's really important that everybody has a voice so that the solutions that we get are fit for all members of society. Yeah. So when you were doing that work, did you notice any voices that were missing at all? Oh, yeah. No, I... Yeah, I really appreciate that question. And um, maybe before directly answering it, I, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm going to give a bit of a, a caveat to, to what I was saying before. And I think that's really important when we talk about growing in a male-dominated field. Uh, when when I think back to that, and that's a, that was a big learning process, and I'm still completely in that learning process. Is um, for example, we'll talk about a male dominated field. So then we tend to categorize things. So who's missing? We'll say, well, women are missing. And then you make this big category and it's all about promoting the place of women in STEM. And 
but the, the truth is, is that it's not all women who who will face the same types of obstacles um, for for historically underrepresented communities or women from those communities. They will face a, a, a completely other ordeal of obstacles that I, I can't even imagine or I didn't have to, to live with. Um, and and that's something that it was it was really it's been a, a learning experience because I, I know that I, I made the mistake of kind of bunching them together along the way where where you kind of you you group everyone together but then sometimes in in using your your voice well you can you have to also be mindful of are you maybe blocking out other voices that aren't having that opportunity and um, when we were talking about leadership earlier and how do you use those the your leadership and also the positions of of power that that you that sometimes you you have access to um well it's it's about saying well who's not there who can you bring to the table and um, and sometimes the work, everything goes very quickly. Sometimes we don't always take the time to to really to really uh, ponder that. But it, it is really important. And and now coming back to to your question of well, in those situations, what voices were missing? It's never going to be perfect for sure. Uh, I mean, we were there because we were trying to represent the the next generation we are each and we were a group for example if i'm taking um, i'm speaking of uh, the experience at the federal level we were a group of of 15 so canada is home to what uh, we have like we have our provinces we have our territories so you have a geographic um you have a geographic representation you have a representation in terms of of culture in terms uh, of gender, there, there is so many things to be represented. Um, so, so it becomes important and a lot of the work we were doing is consultation. How do you go back out into, into the communities, try to, to gather more voices. Um, so, but we, we would get to the point where it was very hard. I'll be very honest at the end, we were working towards what was uh, a report, uh, a final report that was submitted uh, with different recommendations. And it was on our vision for the future of science. And, and there were so many times in producing that report where it was like, well, how can we really take position on this? We don't feel like we have a full, like a full, um, either a full understanding or we don't have um, a full representation of the communities who are impacted by what we would be recommend, recommending. Um, so um, I'm not coming up with a, a solution. I, I think it, it was, we, we were cognizant of it, but there, there are different ways to address it. Sometimes it is through different structures in, in, in representation. For example, you do have someone who sits at the table, but then they have, there's different ways to branch out into the communities through consultations or other. Um, but but it, I think what is the most important is realizing it and then also trying to put in place certain, certain actions or certain mechanisms that allow you to reach a, a, a larger number of voices to, to include. I really love that and I love the humility that you have around all of the topics that we've been talking about today and I know for myself in the way that I've been looking at leadership at some point we have to be willing to also give up our own position in order to be able to uh, support a more inclusive and diverse environment as well and it's one of those things up until now have people really been willing to give up what they have in order to allow that to be a reality. 
So I guess time will tell, time will tell with um, with society. But I want to ask you one more question before we finish today. So I want you to think back to the timeline of your whole life so far. And I want you to go back to a specific moment in time. Um, to a moment where you wish you'd had the opportunity to maybe whisper something in your own ear, a piece of advice. So if you were to go back to any time point, what time point would that be? And what would you say to yourself? Hmm. Yeah, that's um <laughs> another difficult question. Um if I'm being honest, I think that I would take I would tell myself probably the same thing or to a certain extent, but at, at multiple times during during my career um, or, or during my, my career path because we, we, we spoke a lot about this when we were together at the Level Up uh, workshop and we spoke a lot about imposter syndrome. And sometimes I feel when you're an imposter, you, you feel out of place. But the one time when I don't feel out of place is when you talk about the imposter syndrome because I identify very strongly with it. Um, and so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like it when I'm talking about it <laughs> and it's and 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 I'll say this specifically maybe for people who are also coming from the the academic side for example who did a master's who drew PhD or beyond and um we are trained to become experts and in something very specific and we and that's how we try to pursue a lot of things in our life so it becomes very off off-putting when all of a sudden we are in situations where we are we don't have years to become the expert in that situation so even for example now going into a, a position of management um it's like if all of a sudden I tell myself I need a PhD to be able to do this um and even throughout my the different uh the different engagements that I was talking about in, in science policy for example I was never an expert in that. I, you, you develop expertise. And, um, and it's really, I think that that's something that that's really important to, to think about. And what I wish I would have told myself is that there's, a, we have all these expressions, you know, when we say um, uh, a, a jack of all trades, but master of none. And like, if it's always like a bad thing to be good at a lot of things, but I think what I would have wanted to remind myself at a lot of different times, either during my, my PhD, when I was starting as a medical physicist, when I was transitioning and pivoting towards, towards another, uh, towards my, my, my career now, um, I would have wanted to, to tell myself that I am developing a very unique expertise, that all the different, yes, my technical expertise, but also all the different experiences that I, I'm living uh, sometimes even on the personal side or and the professional side that all of these are giving me a very unique perspective and all of that flourishes into a very, very unique expertise. And only, only I have that expertise now. No one else can bring that to the table. And that's something that I would share with with so many people who are going through this and sometimes they feel like they're an imposter, but 
the truth is they deserve that role and they probably deserve that what, what, whatever uh, whatever situation that they're in where they don't feel like like they they're up to par with others um it's totally not true I mean it's not true at all they they really they deserve it they though their voice needs to be heard they need to speak out and it's we, we just get into these situations where we're always comparing ourselves because we have these very linear ways of looking at where we should go and what careers can lead to but we, we can't get intimidated by CVs, even like bios and like these big bios that we we read. The truth is people write their own bios. They, they can write whatever they want in them. And and it's really about taking that time to to write your own bio, right? Like to, to really sip, to take a step back and, and think about all those different things that, that you learned. And sometimes it can be, it's not necessarily a big involvement or it's not about getting a master's or a PhD. It's about in this experience, this is this is what I went through. I, I it can be like a, a challenging experience, a um, one where you like you might have managed a team, but you might have just had this really difficult challenge to to deal with. And how did you grow from that? And that in itself is an experience that gives you a perspective that no one else has. And so that's my very long answer to the fact that um, uh, to 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 what I would have I would have whispered to myself is. Right now, wherever you are, you are developing a unique expertise and that will be very valuable along the way. Yeah, I love that. I think what I'm taking from that and I was sort of chuckling to myself because I hear this a lot. Oh, I just need to get another qualification so that I can, you know, that I need to be the expert so that I can like feel like I'm on solid ground and then nobody will find me out. And I think what I'm really taking from that is you don't need that. You just need to build upon what you have. You don't have to have like the deep level of everything that you do. You can develop your own expertise in anything of interest to you. And that is valuable in and of itself. And also what I was hearing there was the inner critic, you know, it's not even other people that are saying those things. It's our internal self telling ourselves off, comparing ourselves to other people's bios and actually we need to have a comparisonitis diet and let let that let that stuff go and really see the unique value that we hold in ourselves. So I love that. And um, thank you so much for such a wonderful conversation. I really thank you for your time as well, Madison. Thank you so much, Hannah. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. And it was such a pleasure just sharing this time with you and getting to catch up after our time at Level Up. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Women in STEM Career and Confidence. To get further support in your journey, join me in Breakthrough Unleashed on Facebook.